Mishnah Uksin, chapter number 3, Mishnah number 12. Omar Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi says, Asrak Rabbi Baruch Hu Lahanchil, L'chol Tzadik V'Tzadik, Shloish Meyayis V'Asara Eilamais. In the future, God will inherit to every Tzadik 310 worlds. Shinemar, as it says in the book of Mishlei, in the book of Proverbs, the Hanchil Oyaveyesh Vaisaseim Amali. As it says in the book of Proverbs, that I may cause those who love me to inherit Yesh. Yesh equals 310 worlds, and I will fill their treasures. Abishimin bin Khalafta, Amr Abishimin Khalafta. The Mishnah goes on to say and brings a statement from Rabbi Shimon Chalafta. Loi Matza Kalibaruchu, Kli Machzik Brachal Yisrael, Ella Hashalim. And that is, the Holy One, blessed be He, found no vessel that could hold Israel's blessing except peace. Peace is the vessel for all of God's blessings. As it says, is written in Psalms. Hashem oiz li yitein Hashem yivarech es It says in Psalms that God will give strength to His people, and God will bless His people with peace. There are many questions that could be asked on this Mishnah. The first question is. Rabbi Shua ben Levi tells us that in the future God will inherit to every tzaddik 310 worlds. But he uses the terminology l'chol tzaddik v'tzaddik to every tzaddik and tzaddik. Why the double terminology? Simply say l'chol tzaddik to every tzaddik. Why l'chol tzaddik v'tzaddik? Number two is that we bring a proof from the book of Proverbs that it says there that I may cause those who love me to inherit the 310 worlds. Yesh. The word yesh means the absolute eternal blessing that is real and that is eternal for all times. Comes the question to mind, why must the Mishnah also bring the conclusion of the passage? And I will fill their treasuries. That is not a proof that God will give us 310 worlds. The proof is from the first part of the verse. Why then does the Mishnah also bring the second part of the verse? Verse to say, Amale, and I will fill their treasuries. Another question. Rabbi Shimon says that the ultimate vessel is peace. And he brings a proof from the Pasuk and Tehillim. God gives strength to his people and he will bless them with peace. Here too we have the same question. And that is the main point of the verse is to bring a proof that peace is a blessing. 
So if that is the case, bring the second part of the verse. Hashem Yivarech es Amei Basholim. God will bless the Jewish people with peace. Why must we also bring the first part of the verse? Hashem Oiz Li'amayitein. God will give strength to his people. Another question. The Mishnah begins with the statement of Rabbi Shua ben Levi and brings then a second statement from Rabbi Shimon ben Chalafta. Now, Rabbi Shimon ben Chalafta preceded Rabbi Shua ben Levi. Rabbi Shimon ben Chalafta was already an elder at the time of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, which was the author of the Mishnah. Rabbi Shua ben Levi was considered to be from the last generation. So much so that he was called an Amoira. He wasn't even called a Tanna. He wasn't even called an author of the Mishnah. He was primarily an author of the Talmud. He's also included here in the Mishnah. But really he came from a later generation. If that is the case, why is Rabbi Shimon Mechalafta follow the statement of Rabbi Shua ben Levi, it should have been the reverse. To give honor to the elders. So we have all of these questions. The final question, which was, why is Rabbi Shua ben Chalafta mentioned after Rabbi Shua ben Levi? To this we have a teaching from the Toys of Yamtiv. <clears throat> the Toys of Yamtiv, a famous commentary on the Mishnah, says that the reason why we put Rabbi Shimon Chalafta at the end is because we want to end the entire books of the Mishnah, over 60 tractates of the Mishnah, with the concept of Shalom, with the concept of peace. Furthermore, not only do we want to end it off with peace, but there's also a concept of connecting the end to the beginning. Torah is a circle, it's not a line. In other words, you don't end learning Torah. You come back to it. You're constantly reviewing the Torah over and over again. Just like every year we read the five books of Moses, and after we finished the five books of Moses on Simchas Torah, we start over again. And we are now going on a higher level, like a spiral staircase, higher and higher. And the same is true when you end the Mishnah, you start the Mishnah again. It's a circle. It's cyclical. If that is the case, so says the Toys of Yomtif, we are ending the Mishnah and connecting it to the beginning of the Mishnah. How is that? Because the beginning of the Mishnah starts with Shema Yisrael. When do we begin Shema Yisrael? When the Kohanim go and they eat their truma. That's what the Mishnah says in the very beginning of the Tractate of Brachas. When do you recite the Shema Yisrael? When the Kohanim go and eat their truma. Now, the Kohanim are famous for giving the blessings, the Kohanic blessings. Yivrecha Hashem Yishmerecha, Yod Hashem Parabelecha V'chenecha, Yisra Hashem Parabelecha V'yaseim Lecha Shalom. And it ends up with the words Shalom, peace. So just like the Kohanim bless the Jewish people with peace, the Mishnah ends with shalom, with peace. So now the end, the beginning are connected. The Rebbe takes it a step further. If that is the case, that we are connecting the end to the beginning because they both are connected with shalom, with peace, 
we can also say that they are both connected with the Shema. Just like the Mishnah, at the very beginning in the tractate of Baruch, it says, May Masai Shema. When do you read the Shema? And the Shema has two names of God Shema Yisrael, Hashem Alekeinu, Hashem Achor. Here, O Israel, God is our Lord, God is one. The final wording in the Mishnah is twice the name of God's name. We end up with the verse, Hashem Oiz Liamayitin, Hashem Yivarech is Ami Basholim. Hashem Oiz Liamayitin, God will give his nation strength. And God will bless his nation with peace. Again, we have the double name of God, Hashem and Hashem. Connecting the beginning of the Mishnah to the end of the Mishnah. What is all of this telling us? What is the connection with the teachings of Rabbi Shobal Levi and the teachings of Rabbi Shimon Chalafta? And how does this apply to all of us? And again, to connect this primarily to, to the Shloshim of Rabbi Sinchava Bas Rabbi Melech, the passing of my grandmother. The Gemara tells us a very interesting thing. The Gemara says, Omar Rav Ami. Rav Ami says that what is the reason that the passing of Miriam, the passing of Miriam the prophet, is in the Torah near the mitzvah of the red heifer, of the paraduma, to tell us just like the red heifer atones for those who are impure from the impurity of death, so too the passing of a righteous person like Miriam Hanaviyah atones for the generation. The Gemara goes on to say, Ammar Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Lazar says, what is the reason that the passing of Aaron, the high priest, is juxtaposed to the garments of the high priest or the Kohanim? Says the Gemara to teach us, just like the garments of the Kohanim atone for the sins of the people of Israel, so too the passing of a tzaddik, a righteous person, also atones for the sin of that generation. The commentaries ask a question, why does the Gemara need to give us two proofs? Give us one proof. Either give us the proof of Miriam, or give us the proof of Aaron. Why must the Gemara give us two proofs that seemingly seem to be redundant? And the commentaries explain that the reason is to tell us that one may think that a tzaddik is mainly a man. Maybe a man is a tzaddik. And only the passing of a man will atone for the sins of the generation. But generally we don't associate a woman as a tzaddik. Comes to Gemara and says, no, that Miriam Hanaviyah, the passing of Miriam, she atoned for the entire generation with her passing. I believe that this is one of the reasons why the final Mishnah in the tractate of Uxin says that in the future God will inherit to every tzaddik and tzaddik 310 worlds. Why every tzaddik and tzaddik? To teach us that this is true for men and for women. Every tzaddik, either a woman or a man, if you're a tzaddik, 
then you should know that you will inherit all these 310 worlds. Furthermore, what's the proof? It says, Lahanchil Oivayesh, verse the same Amale. As it says in the book of Proverbs, that I may cause those who love me to inherit 310 worlds. And number two, I will fill their treasuries. There are two concepts here. There's 310 worlds. And then there is the concept of treasuries. A person inherits 310 worlds through the study of Torah. In other words, we just now concluded the entire 60 tractates of the Mishnah. When a person studies Torah every day, and they learn the Mishnah, and they learn the halachos of Torah, then they inherit all of these treasures, all of these worlds, 310 worlds, in the world to come. However, there's another concept. And that concept is, which is even beyond the study of Mishnah, even beyond the study of Torah. And that is called Yirashamayim. That is called the accepting the yoke of heaven. And it says in, in Ethics of Our Fathers, Im ein yira in chachma, im ein chachma in yira. If you don't have fear of heaven, you can't have wisdom. And if you don't have wisdom, you cannot have fear of heaven. It seems to be a double terminology. But really, it's two separate levels. And that is, first, you have to have yira, fear of punishment. Then, you can learn the wisdom of the Torah. After you learn the wisdom of the Torah, you go to a higher level of fear. And that is awe, awe of God which is higher than Chachmah, higher than the intellect of Torah. On a very practical level, you see that there are people who can study Torah every day, yet when it comes to their actions, when it comes to their, their speech, when it comes to their connection with people and their social skills, they lack that ability to communicate with people. And as we say in America, they're not a mensch, they're not a mensch, this came mensch. So they have a lot of knowledge, but they're not a mensch. Beyond that level of knowledge, there's a level of Yiddish Shemayim, which is the level of accepting the yoke of God. As the Gemara says, everything is in the hands of heaven. Besides the fear of heaven. And the Gemara calls the fear of heaven a treasure, an oitzer. The Gemara calls, in the Gemara tractate, Shabbos, page 31, it's called Oitzer Shel Yirashamayim. It's called the, the treasury, or the treasure of the fear of heaven. And Abin Bachai explains why is it called a, a treasure? Because a treasure can only be accumulated by other people's wealth. A king cannot make his own treasure. He has to find other gold and all the silver from other countries and he brings it together and he puts it away in a special box which is unique and beautiful and special. And that becomes his treasure. What is God's treasure? 
Why does he hold dear to him, close to him? That is unique. That is the year of Shemayim when a Jew and a person has the yoke of God, that he places God before him always. As it says in the opening of the Code of Jewish Law, Shavisi Hashem Sam, and place God in front of you. And it goes on to say that it means that even when you are in a private area, in your own room, and no one's around, even there, you have to be modest before Almighty God. Modesty doesn't only mean in the street. You don't run around uh, without clothing. Even in your own home, you have to be modest. And that is the level of Yiddish Shemayim. And that is even higher and beyond the entire Mishnah. That's Eisusayim Amali. And that is the meaning God says, I will fill your treasures and your treasuries because you gave me my treasure. What is my treasure, says God? Yiddish Shemayim, living a life of modesty and living a life of humility, and living a life of godliness, this is even something that transcends the wisdom of the Torah. And that is why the, the Mishnah tells us two things here. Number one is, I will give every tzaddik, one who studies Torah, 310 worlds, but I'll give the tzaddik who has modesty, and the fear of heaven, my treasures. And this is connected also with the last statement of Rabbi Shem Menchalafta. He says, Hashem oiz liyamayite. Hashem yivarech is ambayshalim. God will give you strength, number one, and God will give you peace. God will give you strength to be able to handle all 310 worlds. Can you imagine? We can't even handle one world down here. And now, the mission is telling us that every tzaddik, as a reward, will have 310 worlds of all the pleasures that money can buy. And you can imagine that is spiritual and infinite and beyond our comprehension. This is going to be the reward for every tzaddik to be able to handle these 310 worlds. You need a lot of strength. Hashem God will give you strength to be able to maneuver and control and handle all these 310 worlds. But then, Hashem Yivarech is Ambashodim. By the fact that you had Yiddish Shemayim, by the fact that you accepted the yoke of God upon yourself and fear of heaven, God will give you treasures. He will fill your treasuries. What is that? That is the blessing of peace. God will bless you with peace by Shalom. And peace is even a greater blessing than strength. To be able to have all of these treasuries that are so personal to God that God is now sharing with you for this you need Shalom. What is Shalom? What is peace? The terminology peace is used in a situation where perhaps there could be not peace. The most famous terminology of peace is Shalom bias. Peace in the house. How come we don't say peace in the yeshiva, peace in school? Why peace in the house? Because what it really is referring to is man and woman, man and wife. Because by nature, 
a man and a woman are two opposite species. Two different realities. For them to live together is something totally abnormal. It's not a natural thing. It's easier for a man to live with a man and a woman to live with a woman. When I had, when I went to yeshiva over the years, I had a dormitory. So we had two or three people, two or three guys. We're in one dormitory. We all had no problem. We lived together. All of a sudden now, we get married. And the whole game changes. It's now a man and a woman. Who's a woman? It's a different reality. Different species. Different needs, different responsibilities. For a man and a woman to live together is abnormal. For this you need shalom, shalom bias. Every day is a miracle. Taking two opposites and bringing it together is literally a miracle every moment. Famous teaching of, of the Ragachavar was that marriage is a pool in the Mshechis. Every moment marriage is a new reality. So one of his colleagues said, if that's the case, Mazel Tov. He says, what's the Mazel Tov? On your marriage. He said, I got married many years ago. He says, yeah, but every moment you're getting remarried. So Mazel Tov for right now. <laughs> in reality, every moment is a new creation. It's a new miracle because you're taking two opposites and bringing it together. That's the idea of Shalom Bayez. So this blessing of Shalom means that God gives a human, a finite individual, the ability to connect with infinity. And someone who is mortal to connect with immortality. Even though normally these two worlds don't come together, these two worlds clash, but the fact that a human being is able to accept upon themselves the fear of heaven, the yoke of God, the yoke of an infinite God, two different realities. God says, I will bless you with the blessing of two different realities. So this, my dear friends, I believe is something that underscores and personifies uh, the role and the life of my grandmother. Her Rebbe Sin no doubt was a very wise woman and a very learned woman. She was a tremendous partner with my grandfather, Rabbi Jacob J. Hecht, the blessed memory. But in her own right, in her own role, she had the quality of tzniyot, the quality of, of modesty in her dress, in her actions, in her speech. And she had the ability to, in, to inculcate and to, to impress upon people with her sweetness and her mannerism and her kindness. The, the love of God and the, the connection to Almighty God. And this really is the connection between the Shema Yisrael and the two terminologies of Hashem. The two terminologies of God's name. When we say Shema Yisrael, Hashem Lekeinu, and then we say Hashem Echot. In the Shema, there are two levels. Here, O Israel, God is our Lord, God is one. But we're saying God is our Lord, we're not saying God is one. We're saying there's a God, and then God is our Lord. Two separate realities. 
So in other words, there's a Yid, there's a Jew, there's a human being, and there's a God. And I accept God upon myself. But I and God are two separate realities. Hashem Achad, God is one. That's a new reality. That me and God are totally one. We synthesize. There's a peace, there's a shalom between me and God. And really that's two different stages, two different steps. When you start with the Mishnah, when you start at the beginning of the Mishnah, then we are dealing with an individual who enters into the path of God. At that time, Judaism, Torah, mitzvahs are a tremendous yoke upon the person's head. And therefore at that time, there's only Hashem Malikenu. There's God and my God. Two different realities. When you reach the end of the Mishnah, then it becomes Hashem Echad, God becomes one. And in truth, this is also the difference between the role of the father and the mother. The father primarily is much more rigid. It's more of a dictatorship. You have to do this, you have to do that. Okay, I accept it, I'll do it. But the role of the mother is out of love and sweetness. And that temperament, that, that, that softness, brings Yiddishkeit and Torah and mitzvahs into a much more personalized and, and eternal, eternal connection. So we have over here these two terminologies. Hashem Oiz, Yamayite. Hashem Yivarech, The first Hashem, the first time we say God's name is to give us strength to do the entire Torah because there's a lot of responsibility, a lot of mitzvahs, 613 commandments, 60 tractates of the Mishnah, 36 tractates of the Talmud. And then all the quoted Jewish law and the unlimited laws and continuous laws of the Torah. You need strength to be able to carry this. But the second level is Hashem Yuvarech Amin Bashalim, that you become one with, with Almighty God. And as I mentioned earlier, that this is accomplished through the quality of accepting the yoke of God, which is associated with the, the level of the level of modesty, which is something I believe that my grandmother truly excelled in throughout her entire life. And I remember, even as a child running around in, in Camp Amuna, which was something she was totally dedicated to her entire life. And it was very hot in the summer. And people in the summer become a bit lax in their, in their, in their dress and in their mannerism. And I remember my mother, my grandmother, she always wore a shaitel, a wig, even in the summer, in the camp. You would think, you're in the camp, you're not in the city, only amongst girls. She wore the wig always. Whenever she was outside in public, amongst the kids, in the office, she wore her shaitel. And she wore, she made sure the, 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 her arms were always, her elbows were always covered, and her knees were always covered. She was a very, very sneezed woman. And she had the, the, the ability to, to impact and inspire the campers of Camp Amuna also to, to live that way. And she did it with, with love and, mm-hmm. and, and devotion and integrity and inspiration, etc., etc. 
So this is this is the 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 seum. This is the conclusion of the Mishnah, and this is the 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 message that the Mishnah is teaching us. That yes, it's important to learn Torah, and we have to learn Torah, and it's important that we do mitzvos and observe mitzvos. But the ultimate goal is that we do mitzvos not because we have to, not because we're forced to, but rather because we want to. We see the beauty of the Torah and mitzvahs. And this is done by accepting the yoke of God upon ourselves, that making God a reality. The God is always with us 24-7, wherever we walk, wherever we, we, we go. God is always with us at all times. I was talking to one of the cooks that uh, cooked in Camp Amuna many years ago. And he told me that when he was hired as the cook to cook for the girls, at that time he was just coming out of culinary school and he thought of himself to be an exceptionally good cook. And he was young and naive at that time. And he prepared, you know, these professional meals and menus for every day, what he was going to be serving all of the campers. And he was actually very proud of his menu. And he comes to camp, and the first day arrives, he now has to cook all of these foods, and he gives in a list to the kitchen, I need this and that and the other thing to make all these fancy dishes. And he cannot get any ingredients. He gets, you know, basic stuff, milk and cheese for breakfast and for dinner, you know, some chicken and potatoes. But he wants fancy mushrooms and he wants fancy spices. And he makes a whole list and he's never getting anything back from the pantry. So after a few days, he wants to have an audience with my grandmother, Rebbe Sanhecht. And so they make an audience with my grandmother. He sits down and says, Rebbe Sanhecht, you know, I'm a professional chef. And, you know, I prepared all these fancy meals, and I really want to make the campers happy. So, you need to give me, you know, all of these different ingredients to be able to make this happen, to make it a reality. And, for some reason, I give in the ingredients to the pantry, and nobody's giving me back these ingredients. So my grandmother says, sit down over here. Let me talk to you. You say, this is a camp, a camp for girls. And this is a non-profit organization. And therefore, we're not a fancy, fancy five-star restaurant in Manhattan. We're, we're a camp. And most of the food we get is based on donations. And what, what, what money can buy in a very, very modest way. But we cannot afford to find and buy you all these expensive delicacies and condiments that you want for the girls. So let me explain you something. You see, to be a professional chef, to be a good chef, doesn't mean that you have all the ingredients you want. What then would be the chidush? What then would be the novelty? You have all these fancy ingredients and you make delicious food. The real chidush, the real miracle, and the real genius is that you don't have all these ingredients. You only have a few basic ingredients, and yet you're able to make amazing food. That is an accomplishment. And the chef tells me, you know, it blew my mind. She blew my mind. I said, wow, this is a lesson for life. Not only a lesson for the kitchen, 
In life, God gives us, you know, a few ingredients. And we say, God, if I have this and I have that and I have the other thing, I can make you a better dinner. And God says, these are the ingredients I am giving you. Now, let's see what you can do with those ingredients. God gives each and every one of us the opportunity to have Yiddish Shemayim. Every person can have Yiddish Shemayim. Each person can acquire these levels of fear of heaven, the level of modesty of Tzniyut. And we can have excuses why we don't do it. I wasn't raised this way. I don't have enough money. I have a problem with my spouse. All these things are good excuses. But at the end of the day, if you want to be a good chef, if you want to create phenomenal food, the novelty is to work with the ingredients you have and produce this shalom, produce this peace, and that will bring you all of these blessings. We are now in a situation that the world truly needs peace in Ukraine, in Russia, and throughout the entire world. So we hope and pray, Hashem oiz diyamayitin, Hashem yivarech am shalom, that God will give us strength, and God will give us peace, and the ultimate peace, and the ultimate blessing, with the coming of Mashiach speedily in our days.